Hi, everyone. Um, as Josh said, my name is Shirley, and I'm on the teaching team here at ECV. Um, we've been in a three-week sermon series on home, and today is our last sermon in the series. Um, so two weeks ago, Matt started the series by talking about the longing for home that we have and how that longing gestures to the home or heaven that God is making with and for us as glimpse in the garden in Genesis that was home all the way to Revelation and the garden city that our home is becoming. And what we mean by home as we've gone through this series is the perfect communion with God, others, and place that we saw in the garden and that we'll see again in the garden city. Last week, Tina talked about how given the reality that obviously we are not yet fully at home, we're not back in the garden nor yet in that garden city, and especially that the American dream is not our home nor is it our way home, that in that reality we live as aliens, not conquistadors, as nomads, not permanent residents, and as illegals, not deserving. Because right now, we live in tents. As Tina referenced last week, 2 Corinthians 5 describes this feeling of not being at home yet and being in tents. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." So, we've been talking about living in tents. And let me show you a picture of what I mean by tents. These are tents. So this is a Google search of the word home, but according to Paul and what we've been talking about, these are the tents that we live in. But in seriousness, I think distinguishing between tents that we live in and home is really important. Because these past few weeks, I've had a hard time placing what does home mean to me. As someone in my 20s, unmarried, who doesn't have kids, has moved many apartments in the past few years, who doesn't have one of these, home can feel hard to place. The place that I'm currently living in is very lovely, and it is home for now. But I can be very aware that it is temporary. I might have to move again soon. It is a tent. For some, maybe the younger folks in the crowd, the place that you grew up in, you can call home in some ways, but in other ways, it no longer totally feels like home either. For those that are unhoused, what does home mean? Our workplaces are tents, our current communities are tents, our churches are tents, we live in tents. Tents that are our earthly homes that can be destroyed and are temporary. But God is making a home, capital H, home, a reality of perfect communion with God, others, and place. And that isn't restricted to the building that you live in or the different tents that you find yourself in. And I think God invites us to join God in that homemaking. So today, we're going to talk about homemaking. 
And we'll be looking at three stories of Jesus making tents into home. And so let me pray for us as we begin. Spirit, Paul writes that you have been given to us as a guarantee. We know where we've come from, we know who we are with now, and we know where we are going. So give us courage as our tents are being transformed into home, and as you call us to join you in making those tents into home. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, three stories of Jesus making tents into home. The first story. Um, We'll start in Luke 5. Feel free to follow along on the screen or pull out your Bibles or your phone Bibles. Um, But we'll start in the story of Jesus calling Levi. So Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance." The story in Matthew ends with Jesus saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this story tells us how Jesus interacts with Levi's home or his tent. After calling Levi to follow him, Jesus goes back to Levi's house with him and it becomes transformed into a home of hospitality, celebration, and mercy. Oftentimes, we can be tempted to think that true home is out there, or that our own tents have to look different in order for Jesus to want to be in our tents with us. But in the Gospels, again and again, Jesus follows people to their tents, bringing his presence there and homemaking there. They're in their unique context, their unique tents, and with their unique friends. So for some of you, this is a blessing to home make in your particular context, to make a great feast in your house, whatever that looks like, and to be hospitable. In this story, home is also simply a place of realizing that we need communion with God, that we, each of us, needs a healer, We just need someone who wants to heal our relationships with God, others, and place someone who has enough mercy for us. I wonder, for example, if our workplaces can be transformed into home if we simply just became people who needed God. And a story, so interestingly enough, the way that I've seen homemaking happen in my workplace is the ways that I've needed God in it and the ways that I've needed God specifically to just be hospitable in my workplace. Work is a place of striving sometimes, working really hard, grinding. Um, and, but for me, a couple of times, I've been tasked with organizing and planning for feasting and celebration in my workplace. Um, so, which for someone who is new to my workplace, that's not an easy task. I don't know the culture, I don't know that many people, but yet I'm tasked with 
organizing the celebration, and for anyone who has ordered catering for a large group of people and who also wants to save money, you know that that is not an easy task. <laughs> and so, this past Friday, I was tasked with organizing the retirement celebration at my job. This was for eight retirees that I had never met, um, and my tasks included tracking down these retirees, um, many of who had retired months before. So this was finding numbers, finding emails, people don't read their emails. Um, this included deciding on food and drinks for an undetermined amount of people. It involved organizing the event space. It involved deciding on gifts for these people that I'd never met. And throughout the pulling together of this celebration, I needed God, definitely in the logistics, but also to remind me over and over and over again that this celebration was important, that it is important to eat and feast in the workplace just as much as it is to just work in the workplace. And so it definitely made the workplace feel more like home, after eating together, meeting new coworkers, seeing people who have worked there for 38 years get emotional about leaving, hearing others give remarks for those coworkers and express gratitude, all of this was homemaking in my workplace with God. So the first story tells us about making our tents, whether it's workplaces, communities, your relationships, places of mercy, celebration, and hospitality. So the second story. We're gonna to jump to the book of Mark for this one. So this is the story of Jesus calling Simon Peter and then returning to Simon Peter's house. So we start in Mark 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Um, now we're going to jump ahead to verses 29 to 34. And in between these two stories is a story of Jesus teaching at a synagogue and healing a man with an unclean spirit there. But then we jump to verse 29. It says, Immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So in this story, we see Jesus again going to someone's tent and bringing his presence there. After he heals and casts out a demon at the synagogue, Jesus makes it a point to return to Simon Peter's house with him. Even after calling Simon Peter and Andrew to leave everything behind, Jesus returns with them home or to their tent. Maybe for some of you, there is a past tent that you're wondering about, a place of healing that you need in your home, 
Maybe you feel like you've been called to follow Jesus, and you have been, but there's something you've been called away from that maybe you want healing for. In this story, Jesus shows that he cares about Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He cares about Simon Peter's home, his tent. Jesus comes and takes her by the hand and lifts her up. It says the fever left her and she began to serve him. I looked up the word serve, which is diakono in Greek, and a definition that I found was that this word serve means to actively serve, literally kicking up dust because you're on the move. So Simon Peter's mother receives healing and is now kicking up dust because she is on the move. And not only that, Jesus transforms the house into a home of healing, a place of hospitality for others that desire healing. It says the whole city is gathered at the door. For me, there are plenty of places in the past of healing places of past healing that have now become places of hospitality for others. So I think there is an invitation here that Jesus cares about our healing. For some of us, it's that Jesus doesn't just call us away from things, doesn't just call us to leave everything behind, but maybe there's a hope that Jesus will eventually integrate and heal everything. Jesus cares about our healing, but as someone who came to know Jesus towards the end of college, There's actually a lot in my life that I feel like I want Jesus to come integrate and heal. And so I think Jesus cares about healing even in our past tense. The last story. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, Zacchaeus could not, because he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This last story is another one of Jesus coming close to someone's tent and bringing his homemaking presence. In this story, Zacchaeus probably didn't think that Jesus would come near him. He was rejected by others, both because of the injustice that he had perpetuated as the chief tax collector, which is why others grumble about Jesus going to his house, and Zacchaeus was rejected simply because of his difference from others. He was small in stature, and others didn't want to make a way for him. But Jesus does. Jesus looks at him and says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
As Jesus brings his homemaking presence, one of mercy and healing, as we've already seen in the stories with Levi and Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus restores Zacchaeus' house to a home of justice, one of right relationship with God and with others. Zacchaeus is named as son, son of Abraham, and Zacchaeus gives back to others what he has defrauded from them. And so maybe some of you feel stuck. Maybe it's because of something you think you've done, maybe something that, maybe who you think you are, or maybe it's just others making a place inhospitable for you. But there's something about a place that doesn't feel like home. But maybe in that place, there is hope for Jesus' homemaking presence to come near to you and restore home for you. So in each of these stories, we've seen what true home can be. Home as a place of mercy, a place that welcomes, a place of hospitality and celebration. We've seen home as healing, as family, and as a place for others' healing. And we've seen home as justice, right relationship with God as God's children and right relationship with one another, all as God's children. Amen. So what does true homemaking mean? For this, we'll go back to 2 Corinthians 5. So, again, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. So what is true homemaking? What does it mean to make our tents more like our heavenly dwellings, what does true homemaking look? What does true homemaking look like or feel like while we live in tents? I think Paul tells us a certain kind of vulnerability. It looks like and feels like being burdened, groaning, burdened by those that are excluded and not yet welcome, a throwing a party anyway to welcome them, like Levi and his friends in the face of Pharisees and scribes. It can look like being naked, taking a risk like Zacchaeus taking a risk, climbing a tree, naked in front of everyone, and actually being called out on his injustice. And then he repents. It looks like walking by faith and not by sight, like Simon Peter leaving everything behind to follow Jesus, and then Jesus returning with him to his house to make it a place of healing. And in this vulnerability, we need courage the courage to have a conversation that can feel uncomfortable but will make your tent a truer home. Maybe someone in your workplace, in a relationship, in your community. We need the courage to take a risk, to climb a tree and see Jesus, even in the face of a lack of understanding from others. 
And for some of us, we need the courage to believe in healing. So as I said at the beginning, work has been a place of homemaking for me. It's been a place of being burdened, groaning, taking risks, walking by faith and not by sight. Um, and so I'll just close with one last story from my work. So a couple weeks ago, um, it was Lunar New Year weekend. Um, and this was the weekend also of the Half Moon Bay and the Monterey Park shootings. Um, and the city of New Haven was actually having our Lunar New Year celebration a week after, which I think in of itself was a mercy from God. So I went to work that Monday and I was definitely groaning. I was crying in my cubicle. Um, that's what groaning looked like all week. I would just cry in my cubicle. Um, but at the same time as I was crying in my cubicle, um, we were planning for an event that was happening on Saturday. So I worked for the city, um, and the city was planning an event that Saturday. And so midway through the week, I decided to send an email to my coworkers, put some of my bosses on that email. And this email was simply to say that I was grieving and that as we planned for Saturday, I thought it would be important to take into consideration this grief. And the response that I got back was, Shirley, do you want to say something on Saturday? And so I found myself on Saturday um, at our city's Lunar New Year celebration, just sharing what God had shared with me through the week. Um, just words about what hope looked like in the midst of tragedy, words about healing. Um, and uh, that was what my workplace allowed me to do. And so throughout this entire week at my work, God was bringing home to me. God was bringing mercy to me by reminding me that there is mercy in my grief, there is comfort in my grief, that there is actually more comfort in my workplace and more mercy than I expected. God was bringing healing to me by reminding me that grieving publicly is a part of healing, by reminding me that hope is a part of healing, um, and God was bringing justice by reminding me that as a daughter of God, that my grief is important, that I can be with others in it, and um, allowing me to be with others, so allowing me to be in right relationship with others as well. So God brought home to me in my workplace, just as I was leaning in and homemaking with God. And so to close... Jesus wants to bring God's homemaking presence to each of us. And Jesus gives us the power to homemake with God. Um, the worship team can come back up. I'm just going to close with a couple of invitations as we think about homemaking with God. So, invitations. The first is pray and ask God what homemaking could look like for you. And a specific invitation for those that feel particularly tenty, so for those that feel like particularly temporary or maybe there is an area of your life that feels particularly like a tent, maybe you started a new job, maybe you're in a new place, in a new season, or maybe for some of you that felt disoriented like I did, Ask God what homemaking could look like for you or what kind of homemaking God wants to do with you and for you. The second invitation. 
Take a risk this week. Climb a sycamore tree to see Jesus better. The third is practice hospitality. Um, and as we continue in our service, um, we have a time for prayer. And here are a couple of prayer invitations for us. Hebrews 11, 11, this is the verse that is, was just in between some of the verses that Tina talked about last week. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I think there is a particular invitation for some of you to believe in the power to conceive, to home make in ways that haven't been done before maybe particularly in places that feel inhospitable. Maybe you need to conceive some kind of new home. I think there is a prayer for you to know that you have the power to home make in a new way. The second invitation is for those of us who need courage. Maybe as you think about homemaking, you are afraid. Maybe there's doubt that comes up. There's fear that comes up. Maybe there's some overthinking. Um, I think one verse that stuck out to me in the story of Zacchaeus is that it says, Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So for some of you, if you feel that fear or doubt, I would encourage you to get prayer and ask God for, to receive that joy for homemaking to actually be a place of joy. And there's one way to act on that urgency. It is to get prayer. And last, if you want to know a Jesus of mercy and healing, I'll, I also invite you to get prayer as well. I'm going to pray for us as we transition. And then I'll invite Josh. our time, I pray that we would experience some feeling of home with you. Give us the courage to believe that you make home with us, that we can become homemakers. Help give us just a vision of what that home with you is. And help us to experience some of that as well. Pray this in Jesus.